Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us, and sometimes just with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Daron, and thank you so much for tuning in during these crazy times going on in our world. Yeah, absolutely crazy times, but I think this week is going to be a good week for us. I felt a little bit weird last week. I'm not going to lie. Did you? A couple down days there. Yeah. We are coming at you from the couch right now. And I've got to say, that is my favorite thing about what's happening right now. I mean, usually we do come at you from a pink couch, but right now it's like a big comfy living room couch. And I actually am embracing this like just being at home, being comfy all the time. Some days I just stay in my PJs all day. I know. Yeah. Sometimes it's like five o'clock and I realize I haven't brushed my teeth, but that's just okay. It's all part of working from home and our slow life. Especially when nobody can come within a few meters of you anyway, nobody's going to be smelling your breath. That's so true. But sometimes I feel like you can even see it, which is a little bit gross, maybe too much information. (laughs) So last week we chatted a little bit about how we're trying to kind of find our space where we can help and influence and impact positively within this COVID situation. And we've been thinking more and doing some brainstorming on the tubes front. So obviously we have the how to live side of things, which is our podcast, but then we also have our shoe label tubes. And we have decided that because we did luckily get our autumn winter shipment in time and we've been able to launch this incredible collection, we have a lot of shoes right now and we've decided that we are going to be giving away 500 pairs of shoes to people who have lost their jobs. We feel like it's the least we can do to send them a beautiful pair of shoes, put a smile on their faces, keep them feeling comfy and just make them feel a little bit special in this time that's really, really tough for a lot of people. Yeah, I think a gift like that can really go a long way. And I know I've been brainstorming personally about little gifts that I can give my friends and people that aren't doing that well. So this is just a way that Tubes can kind of give back and show that, you know, we do really care and we want to help. And we feel like this is a really great way that we can rally around our community and really offer something positive in a time that doesn't really always feel that way. So if you do know anyone that you would like to nominate to be given a gift or if you yourself qualify as someone who's lost their job, please head to tubes.com and we would love to hear from you. Just need to enter a few details and we're going to be sending you off a pretty, pretty new pair of shoes. Which kind of also is why I said it's going to be a good week for us because I feel like it puts a really nice tone on it. Like last week I felt a little bit like I was floundering and I didn't Mm. know how to help, but I feel like this week is going to have a really nice focus to it and I'm really excited to start connecting with people and seeing their reactions and just kind of starting to give back, which really excites me. So true and I feel like by giving to others and thinking of others at this time, it really helps us to feel good with ourselves rather than if we're all worrying about ourselves, kind of thinking of the bigger picture. Exactly. So excited to get into today's podcast. Our guest is the incredible Pam Ahern. She is the founder of Edgar's Mission. If you guys haven't heard of them, it's an amazing not-for-profit animal sanctuary where they rescue lots of deliciously cute, not deliciously, (laughs) (laughs) where they rescue a lot of cute farm. animals here in Victoria. They're pretty amazing. They do such good work with Pam at the heart of it. And they also have an amazing Instagram. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's at Edgar's Mission and it's really, really fun and sweet and cute. And they also call their animals like the cutest things like Leon Trotsky. So cute. A little pig. So Pam shares some unbelievably heartwarming stories with us today. She talks about how she started the animal sanctuary. She says, She shares some of her favorite animal rescue stories with us. And she talks about how she's learned to talk to people about animal welfare in a way that's kind and not confronting because that was something that really stood out to us as one of Pam's gifts. So she shares that with us and obviously so, so much more. Mm. And in this one, we actually did go to Edgar's mission to record the interview. So if you hear barn noises or animals in the background. Or a little rain on the shed that we were sitting in. Yeah, please do excuse us, but it's a really excellent conversation and we know that you're going to absolutely love it. Here is Pam Ahern.
thank you so much for having us, Pam. We're really so excited to be here. I feel like I'm such a fan. As we were driving up the driveway, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe we're at Edgar's mission. This feels so surreal. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. So good. Yeah, I know. We've been big fans for such a long time. We've never actually made it here. So when you were like, oh, I could come to Melbourne or you could come there, we're like, we're coming there, definitely. <laughs> and I actually have a long-term dream of living on a rescue farm. So I'm very excited to be here because I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a window into my future. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to ask you, what does your day-to-day look like here? There's never two days the same. They are always different. Sometimes they start earlier, sometimes they start late. But one thing they always end very, very late in the day. Oh, really? <laughs> it might be I direct um, care with the animals or I do a lot of the writing Sometimes I'm out doing talks or going out presenting to councils, all sorts of things. So there's lots of things happen all the time. And does your morning start really early? They can do. It just depends on the time of year. Like if we have the lambs in lambing season. Oh, my God, the lambs. I can't handle lambs. They're so cute. They're beautiful, the little lambies. That's, that's winter, so we have special needs lambs. You know, they might be caring pretty much throughout the night, so that's a, a lot of work there. Or if someone's sick, you're up and down checking them throughout the night. Now, at the moment, we don't have uh, too many of those high-care needs animals at the moment so that's really good in terms of sleep wise yeah Yeah. (laughs) awesome so we would love to hear when you fell in love with animals have you always been an animal lover your whole life absolutely for as long as I can remember you know animals have captured my heart my home and my bed from I had a stuffed toy smoky it was a, a little grey cat and that was the first animal that really really enchanted me and then we had two cats growing up in suburban Melbourne and a goofy Labrador named Laddie who used to occasionally mistake me for a tree in the backyard but that was okay. (laughs) I always spent hours in the backyard just playing with my dog and fascinated by bees. I would watch bees you know fluttering around from flower to flower and I'd hold them in my little child hand and I'd flutter around and I'd let them go and uh, I think that was the inner Jane Goodall in me (laughs) coming out (laughs) and I always wanted a pony like a Above all else, I wanted a pony and we lived in a suburban house with even a smaller family income. So my pleadings for a pony, you know, fell on deaf ears. But my mum always said, look, the worst thing you can say to Pam is, is you can't. And it wasn't because I was one of those belligerent child and I wanted to be naughty or anything. I was actually a really, really quiet child. Like you very rarely heard a peep out of me. It was, I just love that indefinable moment when you say to yourself, you know, what if, what if I try this? So told I wasn't allowed to have a pony, I went and got my scooter. I took the wheels off my scooter. I grabbed a pair of my mum's pantyhose and I tied a tyre to each end. And that was my saddle. I used to drive the kitchen stool around the house. (laughs) I think I drove my mum nuts with all the noise I made and not having any pantyhose. She took me down to the local pony club. And that's where my relationship working with larger animals really began. And I got my wish for a pony and gosh, I really blew that out of the water. I became a very, very successful equestrian going uh, to all sorts of horse shows and agricultural events throughout Australia. I was a national champion rider and I've won the Gary Owen a couple of times and awards that you know, that little childhood girl could never ever dreamed of winning. And I, I honestly thought I was living my dream, you know, with the relationships with horses. And I was always very successful with the horses that were just that little bit wayward, that little bit more challenging because I formed these lovely bonds with these animals and got to learn to read them really well. I think that was one of my first lessons in animal behaviour and animal husband really began from working with horses so young that if you didn't read the horse behaviour, you'd get kicked, bucked off or stood on. So you learn to start to really read these animal behaviour and that serves me so well working with these animals today. Mm. And then when I was off going to the horse shows and agricultural events, you'd be stabled on, on the grounds of the agricultural show for a week or so and I would be in the cattle pavilion and the sheep and the goat and the pig ones and and looking at all these animals and just so fascinated with them and learning all about them so I think it became a a natural progression that I've got where I am although I honestly didn't think I would ever give up horse riding I thought that was where I was gonna be like that little old 90 year old lady who'd fall off and hit her head and that's how I'd leave the world (laughs) but I I remember when I won my last Gary Owen it was the highest accolade you could win and I was riding around the Royal Show Arena which is one of the proudest moments in my life and incredibly proud of of what I'd done and achieved with with this horse who I actually got for nothing he was just cast off and forgotten into the world and to bring him up to a champion sadness came over me because I thought this is the last time I'm going to do this. I really had for the longest time felt something tugging at me that there was something else I needed to do and I realised it was time to get down off my high horse and really start to champion the cause of animals and that tugging was a pig named Edgar Allan Pig and he wasn't just tugging on his lead, he was tugging on my heartstrings 
taking me to where I am today and I think it's really where I need to be because I, I just adore that pig. So what was it about that pig and how did you then come to start Edgar's Mission? People are listening to this now, but my face is just beaming. I'm talking about my Edgar Allan Pig and I'm looking at a beautiful picture of him on the wall there. He looks like Babe. <laughs> he often got mistaken for Babe and that's a bit of an interesting story, how he actually came to be. At the time of that, I was actually working with Animals Australia on a campaign called the Save Babe campaign, which was highlighting the plight of pigs in Australia and our flawed animal protection legislation. See, most people like me grew up believing that our nation cares deeply about animals and we do we've enshrined it in legislation the prevention of cruelty to animals act it says what we can and can't do to animals our society has acknowledged that animals matter they have emotional worlds and they can be impacted by the things we do upon them we've enshrined it in legislation it's not just crazy animal lovers this is our legislation has recognised this. We don't have the prevention of cruelty to chairs or bales of straw or microphones because we know they can't suffer. But we have it for animals because we recognise they can suffer. But when it comes to animals in human care, we really have become guilty of playing favourites. We treat animals not upon their ability to suffer or their desire to experience the world and all of our magic. We treat animals on the shape they are, our familiarity with them, and the intended use we have of these animals. Nothing to do with their ability to suffer. And the public aren't aware of that. And the only reason those things happen is because these things called codes of practice. And most people haven't even heard of code of practice. Now, a code of practice says, I can incarcerate a, a mother pig in a small area about the size of your bathtub. I can take her piglets away from her. I can castrate them without any anaesthetic or pain relief. And I can ultimately kill her because of code of practice. Now, we had an opportunity to inform on this because this is one of the things I think that makes Australia great. Our laws don't define us. We define our laws and that means we can change our laws. When new ideas come along, when better thinking comes along, when we get more information. The Code of Practice for Pig Farming was being reviewed in 2003. It just so happened that James Cromwell, who played Farmer Hoggett in Babe, was in the country at the time. And we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get James to come on board to create awareness for the plight of pigs? It's so hard as a not-for-profit group with limited funds and limited exposure to actually get media attention. And we managed to get in touch with James. He couldn't do enough to help us. He's just the most incredible human being. He's passionate about animals. He's also passionate about humans as well. In America, he does a lot of work for Indians who've been displaced of their homelands, which I think just goes to show that caring for animals and caring for humans is not mutually exclusive. You know, some people say, oh, you only care about animals, but we're animals too. So James came on board and we had a photo shoot and the photojournalist wanted a photo of a pig in the photo shoot and we approached one of the children's farms, you know, can we borrow a pig for a photo shoot to raise awareness about the plight of pigs? And they said, yeah, sure, 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 but it's going to cost you $150. And I said, well, pigs, you know, I didn't have $150 and I had a bit of a problem with children's farms anyway. I thought, well, here we are trying to advance the cause of animals and you're actually wanting us to pay money. I lived in the country at the time. But I always thought it'd be really cool to have a pig. So I said, I'll get a pig. <laughs> so that was the Enter Edgar Allan Pig. I got him the day before the photo shoot. He came from a pig farm. He was covered in pig poop. He didn't like me at all. My <laughs> mum and I spent the day before washing all the pig poop off him and he stunk. It was actually our first introduction to actually learning about pigs 101. When pigs get upset, they fart. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't like me. He'll be fell in love with my little dog E.T. So my friend and I went down to the photo shoot the next day. We wheeled him down in this big pet carrier. Why? we'd put his little harness on back at home because when you used to do things to Edgar, and this is all pigs too, if they don't like it, they do this, oh, someone's killing the pig routine, they scream blue murder. And we put the little harness on and we opened the pet carrier in the front lawn and then we, Edgar walked out following my little dog ET. We walked out the back and we did the photo shoot and it went so well that the journalist and James were just blown away. You've had this pig less than 24 hours and you've taught him to walk on the lead. This is amazing. You know, you're a pig trainer extraordinary. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then James said, look, this is really good getting people to connect with the pig. I'm going to do an action on the steps of Parliament House in Melbourne. I'm going to walk up the steps of Parliament House. We're going to get postcards from all the people who are working on this film at the moment, all these famous Hollywood actors. I'm going to deliver them to our Minister of Agriculture demanding a better deal for pigs. That's fantastic, brilliant idea. I thought, oh my gosh, now I've really actually got to teach Edgar to walk on a lead. And I thought, how am I going to do this? I had about 10 days to teach Eddie to walk on a lead. And so I went down to our local park in, in Kilmore and I took little Edgar and I took ET and I would start to walk him around and people would come from everywhere and think, oh my gosh, don't, don't scare the pig. I had nothing to worry about. Edgar was the most amicable pig you will ever, ever find. He loved belly rubs. That was the way to his heart. You'd rub his belly go, 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 go. and he'd flop on his side go, 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 and you'd rub it to his back go, 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 go. and people's faces were lighting 
sitting up and go, oh my gosh, he's so clean, he's beautiful, he's smart, he's better than my boyfriend. <laughs> and that got me thinking that the very best ambassadors to change the way people think about the animals who are farmed for food and fibre are the animals themselves. I can speak to people's minds, but Edgar just oinked his way into their heart and he reminded them that they really should be there and not a little bit lower. And that's really where the idea for Edgar's mission grew as a place for Edgar to live out his days in peace, but to be an advocate for all those animals that who are never, ever going to get to know kindness like he did. Even today, we have 500 animals here at the sanctuary, which sounds a lot, but in terms of animal suffering in Australia, it's nothing. But if we can speak for every animal out there, we can make enormous change because I truly believe in the goodness of the human heart. I truly believe that we species are programmed to care and that our hearts are good. We've just become so desensitised to the suffering of others and that includes farmed animals. We don't see them. We just see their remains in the supermarket and it's normal and it's natural to do those things to animals. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's normal and natural to be kind to these animals. Maybe it's normal and natural to find a kinder way of living. It's certainly going to be kinder for animals. It's going to be kinder for people. I think of the people who work in the slaughterhouse industries. It's, it's a terrible industry to work in. You know, they've actually found there's a condition that they suffer. It's called the pits, and it literally is the pits. Perpetrator-induced traumatic syndrome. People actually doing these things to another living being who doesn't want to die it's not nice and they suffer emotionally from this and, and they don't leave that pain and trauma when they leave those places they take that with them and, and we're doing that to people as well and then our planet is crying out for the things that we're doing at the moment and one of the most deleterious impacts on the world around today is, is from farming farming animals for agriculture effluent runoff resource usage water usage pollution all these other sorts of things that there's a kinder way of living out there, but I don't believe I have the right to tell anyone what to do or what not to do. I've got no guarantee if I do it, they're going to do it. Who am I? But if I can encourage people to think and connect to their heart, I think we're on the road to the world being a better place. And I think you do seem to have such a gift that you're able to share your values and share your vision without shoving it down someone's throat or feeling like it's too confronting. How do you go about doing that? It's such a talent because when I sit down and I talk to someone like I get really angry <laughs> and I like want to throw things and I'm like, no, I'm right. But you, through reading about you and what you're doing here, seem to have this really gentle, warm way of approaching it. It really does come from the heart. And I just found when I first started rescuing animals, I just started telling this story and just keeping telling their stories with, with honesty and purity. And early, early on, someone actually came to me and they said, oh, we actually did this workshop about, you know, influence. And the lady was actually said, there's this group that does influence really, really well. And uh, you've got to look at their stories that they do. They, they influence people really well without that hard-hitting, angry message. And it was Edgar's mission. Wow. I didn't realise I was, I was really quite humbled because I often feel a bit bad that I never studied marketing and research and social media and, and all those things. I was too busy looking out the window at school dreaming about animals to do any of those things. But in a way, I think it's been a blessing because it does speak to the purity of what we do. There's no agenda setting out to achieve something. It's, it's through telling the stories of animals. And that is what I find. It does connect with people and they don't feel that they're going to be spoken down to and people don't feel they're actually going to be told what to do and, and belittle someone. You know, no one is ever going to change their way of thinking because someone belittles them or demeans them or makes them feel less than good. But just telling the story about animals and over and over again, people hear, wow, I didn't know that. Now, I recently wrote a story about a little hen that came to us. I called her lovely because she was just so lovely from the battery hen industry. She was found by a member of the public who saw her by the side of the road early in the morning. And then she went back later in the day after work and the little hen was still there, just trying to eke out the existence on the side of the road. The goodness of the human heart saw an animal in trouble and she knew what she chose to do next would determine whether that animal lived or died. So she contacted us, we were able to go down and rescue the hen and bring her back here. And then telling that story, you know, I think when people actually see an individual animal in trouble, you know, I get calls every day of the week from someone who's seen whether it's a cow with a bit of wire around its leg or a sheep running down the road. They want to help. We, we want to do something. People just don't know what to do. Mm. We don't see the individual suffering of those animals in, in, in a flock of sheep because they're there. We, it's so normal and natural to drive down the road and you see these animals in the paddock and you think that's what they're meant to do. But when you see the, an animal as an individual, as a living, breathing, feeling being, that really impacts you. 
and when I was telling Lovely's story, I was telling, you know, one of the things that we've had to do for Lovely to help her survive is actually we have them implanted with a hormone implant to stop them producing eggs. But people say, well, hens produce eggs. That's, that's what they do. But not 300 eggs every year. Like the Asian jungle fowl from which these birds have been descended and which we have selectively bred them from will only lay a handful of eggs every year. But through selective breeding, we now have a little bird that lays over 300 eggs every year. Her little body gets worn out. She starts to leach calcium from her bones to make the integrity of the shell of that egg. And then she just runs out of calcium altogether. So there'll be no integrity of the egg. So the egg actually can't pass out through the overduct. So it'll get stuck in there and it'll start to rot. And she gets a thing called egg yolk peritonitis and it will kill her. And we've seen that happen over and over again with the hens here. So now we, we try and circumvent that. So we actually stop them producing eggs. So we give them a hormone implant that stops these little hens producing eggs. It gives their body just go, oh, I can get better. I can put all my energy into growing my feathers. I don't have to start pumping out eggs. I can look after my body. But even the little the hens that we have here, we still have to worry about them getting brittle bones because they have leached calcium from their bones. And I, for one, didn't know that. I didn't know that. I, I love animals. I, I don't want to contribute to that. But we don't tell people whether to contribute to that or not. We say, here's the information. Every day of the week we're voting for the world that we live in. And it's one of the most important things that I tell school students when they come and have a talk is that the world that we live in is shaped by the individual votes that we make. You know, most people think we only vote at election time. Every day of the week we're making a vote for the world that we want to live in. Everything we put in our supermarket trolley and everything we leave on the supermarket shelf is a vote for the world that we want to live in. And empowering people to find out that information. When we vote at election time, well, we know what those political parties stand for. And we tick which one appeals. with. there's all lots of different political parties. There's no right or wrong. There's all different political parties. We have to work out which one aligns best with our values. And that's the same with, with our foods. It's with the same with our sports. It's with the same with our lifestyle. All sorts of things. We have to pick which one of those aligns best with our values because that's the world we want to live in. And really empower people that you can make a difference. And when you go on our kindness trail, it wanders all around the sanctuary. It's got quotes from some of the finest human minds. They're there to inspire you, to challenge you, and some just to make you laugh. One of my favourite ones is anyone who thinks that they're too small to make a difference has never been in bed with a mosquito. That's actually by Ingrid Newkirk, by the way. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard that before. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. You know, like a mosquito so is so tiny, but it'll buzz around in your room and not, and not make you get up out of bed. Like if a mosquito can make that much of a difference in our life, what can we make in the world today? You started to talk a little bit before about how we have these laws for, for the protection of animals, but I think a lot of them from reading your website are around protection of dogs and cats. And I think people don't really connect to other animals in the same way and realise that they have this full spectrum of emotion and little personalities in them as well. You know, I have a dog and my best friend's not a dog person, but through hanging out with me and my dog, she's like, oh, like I've realised now he's got like his own quirks and he's got a personality just like a human. What are the personalities of animals that you've seen firsthand? Everyone is absolutely different. And people say, well, tell me about pigs. I go, which one? We have 50 pigs at the sanctuary today. Each and every one is different. And I actually just think I am so lucky that Edgar was the pig he was because he just turned out to be the most amazing ambassador for pigs. I often think if he had to be like Delors de Pig, we have this pig, Delors de Pig, you just stay away from Delors. She hates people. Get away. <laughs> and imagine if I tried to get Delors to walk up the steps of Parliament House. It wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> Everyone is different as we are. And this is the thing, the beauty, I think, of the sanctuary here, that people get to meet these animals and see them as individuals, see the different personalities pop up. You know, little Leo Tolstoy, he turns up at my back door and he hits the glass because he wants to come in and go and lie on the dog bed. And people go, oh, he thinks he's a dog. No, he doesn't think he's a dog. He thinks he's Leo Tolstoy. Is he a lamb? He's a little lamb. Yeah. He's a little lamb. He fell off a slaughterhouse-bound truck and hit his head and fractured his skull. A member of the public found him in the gutter. He was nearly dead. He was barely 24 hours old. They knew what they choose to do now was going to determine whether that little guy lived or died. And that's how he came to us. And we had no other lambs at the time and so... He spent a lot of his early life just with me and getting his little wound to heal. And he follows me around everywhere. You know, we think of a dog. We put that label on the dog, but these animals see themselves as an individual. That's who they identify with, not that what we cast a sheep as or what we cast a cow as. They see themselves as an individual. And that's one of the things that I'm so proud that we do at the sanctuaries. We allow them to be individuals. You know, we give them as much space and much enrichment as we can so they can have choices about their life, not our choice. They can get up from morning and go, 
where am I going to go today? You know, people say, where are the sheep? Are? Well, I don't know. They're in their paddock, wherever they want to be. Now, one of the things when we came, we were actually we made the paddocks bigger. So the animals had actually more room to roam. So they actually had more choices to make. You know, they'll have the strip grazing or the, the animals be confined in a certain area and they do a certain thing according to our wishes. But we try and allow them to live their life according to their wishes. And we know as well that cows have best friends within their herds, which is just so adorable. Why is that that we see this difference? You know, you said Leo fell off the back of a truck. Well, why was he on that truck? He was on that truck to go and get killed. Mass murder. But why don't we see it as mass murder? Like if we were putting dogs on a truck and we were sending them off to get slaughtered, we would all be completely outraged. And it's just like, why are we making this distinction between a dog and a cow? It's become a social norm and we've grown up believing that that is true because everyone else around us is doing it. One of the lovely stories I love to tell the smaller kids is the emperor's new clothes, you know, about the two shysters that came along and hoodwick the emperor to thinking there that that cloth was actually nothing, was a magic cloth he put on and only wise and wonderful people could see the cloth and the kid goes, hey, the emperor's wearing new clothes. And now and today we're getting more and more people that are actually standing up saying, the emperor isn't wearing any clothes. And people are saying, yeah, these animals are different. Why are we sending sheep to slaughter? And we're horrified at Korea that eats dogs when it's only an accident of geography that our dog is our best friend and not our dinner. We've actually just been doing it forever, but just because we've always done it that way doesn't make it right. And this is one of the things I think people are struggling with. I know as a child when I grew up and I first questioned her about eating animals, I told her, oh, no, no, it's that way. You know, we, we have to do it. You know, you, and then this disconnect we have, I thought, what are we doing to children and people who are actually making them go against their grain of inner goodness? Like, no wonder we're getting so much conflict within us. And I know sometimes people get very angry at vegetarians and vegans because I think it's actually a trigger to their conscience and it's almost like shoot the messenger that they actually want to demonise us and look down and ridicule us because they actually don't want to confront the fact that I've been living inconsistently with my beliefs all their life and I think that's really important why we don't demonise people and we don't suddenly come and we're the educators and we're to tell you what to do. Well, who are we to tell people what to do? I think when you're really that encouraging people and really getting to think about why am I treating a sheep this way? And they say because they're bred that way. Well, we said that about black people. They, they were bred to be slaves. We, well, our women were bred to be second-class citizens. Our Jews were inferior and we sent them off to the gas chambers. Now, one of the great determinants of the society's ethical progress, our ability to embrace those we once considered different, whether it was the colour of their skin, their religion, they followed even the foods they ate. Our great ethical progress has been our ability to embrace those differences and recognise that there is more that unites us with the others that share our planet than divides us. And that's, I think, our greatness of our humanity and it was Chief Justice Michael Kirby the High Court of Australia he said that the way that we treat animals is our next great social justice movement and by god I reckon he's on the money there. I think what's really interesting how you mentioned before that people working in slaughterhouses that it kind of affects them as well because you never really think about that and it reminded me of something very random that's happened recently in my house which is my boyfriend has started to get a lot more in touch with himself lately. You know, he's getting more into like yoga and meditation and those kinds of things. And usually if we see a spider in our house, he'll just kill it. And I'm always like, no, 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 put it in a thing, take it outside. Like, why just kill it? And he's always like, oh, it's just easier. I'll just kill it. And the other day he had like an explosion of moths in his little granola cupboard. And <laughs> I got home and he's like, I don't want to tell you what happened. And I'm like, just tell me what happened. And he's like, there was a genocide. I had to kill all these moths and the moths have kept coming and he's been in a bit of a bad mood all week. And he turned to me yesterday and he was like, I think I'm feeling really guilty about killing all the moths. I don't want to kill them anymore. And I was like, that's okay. We can start catching them and putting them outside. So now we've started to catch them and put them outside. And it's so interesting that I think as humans, if we're so disconnected from ourselves and from other humans, well, then of course we're kind of disconnected from animals and from what's on our plate and what we're eating. But I feel like the more that we can become in touch with our own emotions, naturally as a follow-on from that, you do find that, you're, that you have this greater connection connection to animals which is really telling it's wonderful and that's a lovely story as as difficult as it was to get to that point but it actually feels good to be kind the chap who saved the Leo Tolstoy, he felt good. And you don't just feel good, like the chemicals that that floods the body with, you know, the oxytocin and all those other wonderful feel-good chemicals. It's good for us. It puts us in a better place. And one of the things, you know, when you come to the sanctuary, the first place you, you see is our chicken village. It is so incredibly colourful. And it's done for lots of reasons. But one of the things, colour, wow, we open up. 
and we want to say, well, tell me more. And tell me the chicken houses, they're all different colours. Well, each chicken is assigned a different chicken house and they know which chicken house they go to at night. We have to lock the chickens up at night because they're predators in the area. And you'll see at the back of the chicken house, there's actually a name and we lock them in with just a little head count to make sure everyone's there because they know which chicken house they go to. But it's colour. A chap who used to work at this sanctuary, it used to be a horse breeding facility, which in itself is very interesting. So it was a place where horses were used and exploited. And now it's a safe haven for animals, which just shows everything can change. And he came back here one day um, after the, we'd started with the sanctuary and he goes, wow, the colour. It's just lifted everything. Everything used to be black here. Even the buildings were black. And it sort of even spoke to what happened here, to those animals. And it really just, oh, it's black. You shut down, even that, oh, our mind shuts down, whereas the colour, we're open, we tell me more, it's a new way of thinking. And it's that brightness, we want to put a bit of brightness and colour in our world. Mm, and so much of what you guys do here is so positive and bright and colourful. And that's obviously how you're able to capture the hearts of people. And something that when we first started to notice Edgar's mission, it was on Instagram. And your Instagram that's talking about animal welfare could just as easily be really sad and really confronting, but it's actually not. It's so warm and wonderful. And I just want to get lost scrolling on there because it makes you feel really good. How did that come about? I've seen those horrible images and I don't want to see more. I don't want to go back there. We want people to keep coming back. And as you've just proved, it's working. Mm -hmm. That uh, People want to see those happy images. The animals. The more you see these images of animals, the more people see them happy, the more we smile, the more we develop connections with those animals. That's got to be a good thing. You know, when we're only looking at really sad things, the slaughterhouse images and the most terrible atrocities, you shut down. You don't want to go back there. So we put up these disconnects and, and divides and... It's not going to get people to fall in love with animals. Mm, and who names them all? Because they have the most fantastic <laughs> names. They have the best names. Like I love that Ruby's vet nurse, Ruby, yeah. and she has her own Instagram account, your <laughs> <She> Kelpie. <laughs> and then there's Leo Tolstoy, obviously, Leon Trotsky, we're big fans of. <laughs> Milky Bar Kid. Yeah. Does that come from you? I could take credit for pretty much all of the names. Kyle got to name some ducks once and he's never going to get to name another animal. You know, <laughs> tooth of bear, eagle, feather and something. He says, Kyle, you're never naming another animal. <laughs> Again, with our names, we wanted to make people smile. And really fun names. Leon Trotsky. Who's not going to fall in love with a pig called Leon Trotsky? It's, it's, it's just awesome. It's so cool. Edgar Allan Pig. That's really fun. We wanted to be fun because we knew the message behind what we were trying to sell is a little bit confronting. So we wanted to get a foot in the door. And Milky Bar Kids, when those little goats came in, that one was just straight into mum's udder and she wouldn't stop drinking milk from her udder. That was a Milky Bar Kid. And um, the little, the, uh, her twin sister had this incredible heart, a perfect heart on her back. There's no other name for her than Sweetheart. There's a quote that we see a lot around Edgar's mission that's, if we could live happy and healthy lives without harming others, why wouldn't we? That's our defining quote. You know, that was one of the cornerstones when we started the sanctuary, that it really is that. And it's a question. Someone said, oh, maybe you should make it a statement. You know, we can live happy and healthy lives, so why don't you? But well, that, that's sort of a little bit harsh. It's a little bit arrogant. Edgar's mission is very soft. Well, you know, but let's pose this question. Let's think about this for a while. You know, let's just ponder the thought, you know, what if we have this suggestion that you can live a happy, healthy life without harming others? What compelling reason can you possibly give for not living that happy and healthy life with our heart. What, what, why? Why can't we do that? And if we can get people to think about that, that's, that's my greatest challenge is to get people to think, as I said, I believe in the goodness of the human heart. And you'll see it branded everywhere. You know, sometimes you'll have billboard campaigns just with that quote and people will, will take it up and they say, oh, it's not vegan enough. It, it doesn't have to be because it's not just about veganism. It's about everything that we do. From the moment we wake up for the, for the clothes that we wear, you know, fair trade, organic, plastic use, all these other things. You know, if we can live a happy, healthy life, and sometimes we might be able, sometimes we have no choice, but sometimes we do. And we feel like a lot of people would agree with that sentiment, but they don't necessarily live it. Why do you think that is? I think it's because sometimes we don't actually want to examine it further, but it's that foot in the door. You know, they mightn't read that quote and suddenly go and become a card-carrying vegan, but there's a seed been planted. A beautiful story happened a little while ago. Um, a lady came and visited our sanctuary and she bought a t-shirt with a quote because she loved the quote. It's a beautiful quote. And then she got home and she looked at the quote and said, oh, I eat meat. Can't really wear that t-shirt. And then two years down the track, the seed had been planted and she actually gave up 
eating animals. And she wrote us a letter and she said, how I came to your sanctuary. I love the sanctuary. I love what you stand for. I bought your T-shirt, but I got home and I thought, looked at the core and I thought, oh, I can't really wear that because you know, I'm wearing something. I eat animals. She said, and I've just been thinking about it all that time and I think, yeah, why am I eating when I can live a happy and healthy life without eating them? So I've stopped eating them and just like, you know, now I can wear your T-shirt. <laughs> and it, it took a while to get there, but it's just that quote and that's why if we can have it branded around everywhere, just getting that seed there. And this is the thing, when you actually get people to think about these things and develop them for themselves, like I can tell you something, can I go, yeah, yeah. but if your brain actually starts pondering it, it starts making pathways and the more that pathway is established, the more that thinking will be common and the more it become actually your thought. But when someone tells you something it's different as opposed to you actually working it out for yourself and if someone does kind of read that and it does resonate you're right being vegan feels like a very drastic big confronting overwhelming goal but what are like the small everyday steps that you can start to take there's so many things you go to the supermarket and there's so many alternatives to animal products there start exploring the different foods that you can eat that don't involve animals there's so many alternatives there you know going out to restaurants that have vegan options supporting those places looking at the clothes that you wear you know one of the things that when we started Edgar's Mission the first t-shirts that we had they were cheap little black numbers that we got from China and I was thinking about that oh gosh actually that's not really kind to people so now we try and source fair trade and organic clothing that we sell in a shop and getting people to think about those things that they're doing you know cosmetics and household products you know not test on animals that was my segue into animal rights and activism was a little ad in a newspaper for cosmetics that weren't tested on animals and household products yeah I love animals I was rescuing cats and dogs and I want to help animals so I sent away for the list and it was only an A4 sheet of paper and it would get updated every now and then with, you know, new products coming on. Because, like, you've got toothpaste here and you've got toothpaste here. This one's tested on animals. This one's not tested on animals. Well, I can make an enormous statement about animal testing by buying the one that's not tested on animals. So I would get the list and it came out one time and there was an ad in there for an anti-fur rally in Melbourne. And I thought, well, fur's really cool. You know, we don't need to wear fur. I'd, I'd like to go along to the rally. So I rang up the lady who was organising the rally and... The conversation we had, it was actually very, very founding and grounding in my style of activism and it was organised by Animal Liberation so I was really nervous about ringing them because my dad warned me about those liberations, the communists, the wackos, the hippies, the terrorists, you know. <laughs> so I said, look, I'd love to come along to the rally. I said, but, you know, if I eat meat, is that okay? And she said, it's not so much what's on your plate, it's how it gets there. Will you think about that for me? I said, yes, 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 yes. So I went along to the rally wearing my leather shoes and leather belt and woolen skirt. And I was always a really shy, I'm still a shy person, that's where I wear a hat. And I was listening to the conversations that were buzzing around and they were talking about this book called Animal Liberation. And it came up all the time and I thought, I was curious. It did have the word animal in it. So I got a copy of the book. And I was reading the dust jacket. I was talking about Peter Singer when he was in England and he was taken by a mutual friend to the local chapter of the RSPCA. And they're talking about animals and how they could better the world for animals and they're getting on really well. And then it came time for afternoon tea and they served ham sandwiches. And Peter Singer thought, well, that's odd. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's got a point. So overnight I became a vegan. And uh, well, I wasn't a very good vegan because I found out down the track the word was actually vegan. I've been <laughs> pronouncing it wrong. This is like over 30 years ago and there wasn't many vegans around, clearly. And the only non-dairy milk you could get at the time was this powder stuff. It mixed up with water and it tasted absolutely disgusting. But there was no way I was going back because I realised what dairy meant to a mother cow and a baby. I raced out and bought tofu because that's what good vegans ate and it tasted disgusting because I ate it raw. I didn't realise you had to cook it. <laughs> and this was the way back then, but there was no way. Everybody came into my that's it, Mum. We don't have any more meat in our fridge before Mum had to come along on the journey to veganism today. But, you know, in our supermarket here in Lanceford, it's a country town, 1,204, actually 1,207 because you guys are here today. <laughs> um, and they sell oat milk, rice milk, soy milk, macadamia milk, almond milk. They have vegan ice cream. They have vegetarian burgers that are actually vegan. This is in Lansfield, little supermarket. This is just amazing. The choices out there today are just amazing. The choices are getting more and more. We were looking in your shop before and we can see that there's like vegan Nutella, there's vegan Smarties, there's vegan Cheetos. You know, you've got everything that you could possibly want in five years. Can you imagine how many options there are going to be? And it's awesome because it's diehards like you – got it started by becoming vegan when it was really tough. But I feel like the reason that everybody is going to start moving towards more animal free products is because the more that's out there, the easier it becomes. Oh, absolutely. Even like the little town of Lansfield now, you know, when we first started, people would go there after the tours at the sanctuary and they couldn't even get 
soy milk. Now she actually has a big sign plastered out the front, vegan options. Like, you know, they, they have vegan pizza nights and there's all the most amazing vegan pies she makes in there. And do you think that that's inspired by Edgar's mission a oh. little bit? Because you must be a very big thing in Lansfield. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. She loves our tours. It's been enormous for business. And that's thing that there's business in there. People coming to the sanctuary, you know, they fuel up and get petrol in town and they might buy some snacks at the fruit store for the animals here. And There's business in the sanctuary like ours. Absolutely. So if people are chatting to their friends and their friends don't necessarily agree with them, they have opposing stances on animals, what are some things to keep in mind when people are chatting to their friends? How can they kind of start to open them up a little bit? I think kindness is really important and measuring what we do. Imagine, you know, someone trying to convince you or to influence you to a way of thinking and anyone who's aggressive or speaking down to people, just put your defences up. Finding that commonality. If someone has had a pet cat or a pet dog and talking about that, getting them to tell you about their cat or their dog that they love, their face will light up. Oh, wow, you know, I met a pig the other day that, you know, he loved his belly rub too like that. Yeah, he was called, you know, Roger or whatever their dog was called. Finding that commonality and really working on establishing that that commonality. And I think when we find that there is more that unites us with a way of thinking, we're going to bring people along. But once we put the divides up, you know, oh, you've got a dog, you know, you're not eating your dog, but you need a pig. I think that's not really engaging. But finding that commonality between the dog and the pig that is engaging. Yeah, you're right. Because as humans, we like to get real defensive just goes up even if you don't mean to be you do get defensive so that's really good advice appealing to them in a way that they can agree with and they will see that point of view rather than putting up something that they can just argue with Absolutely, yeah. And finding some people may be more interested in health, some people may be more interested in environmental reasons, you know, what what matters to them. Yeah, true. My boyfriend stopped eating meat over the last year and it started as for environmental reasons and now he won't kill moths. So, (laughs) (laughs) win. You also wrote a book, The Gift of Kindness, and it's full of heartwarming stories of rescue animals. We'd love you to share one with us today, maybe like a favourite or something that sticks out to you. So, Ruby was a purebred working sheepdog she was bought for a thousand dollars and the guy wanted ruby to work the sheep and ruby was really interested in working the sheep and he got really cross with ruby because she didn't do what she was told to do and he would beat her and he would get aggressive with her and he would get angrier and angry just this terrible spiral down situation and he then took her around to his mate and said to shoot this dog i don't want her anymore she's too much trouble she won't work the dog i've wasted my money and the guy was to shoot the dog and he got the gun and was ready to shoot her and he looked down at the dog and ruby just looked up in those beautiful eyes and looked into his soul and said mate do you really want to do this and he didn't have the heart to shoot her he looked at that animal and he didn't want to kill her we were renowned in the district for the cat and dog rescue that my mum and I had been doing for years so he brought around to us and said look this dog was going to be killed you know can you take her I said yeah we'll take her and I thought we'd just get some weight because she was really really skinny we'll get some weight and we'd, we'd get her better and we'd find a home for her she was so traumatized that you'd look at her side was all something would bang and crash and even today if something bangs and crashes she gets a fright and she wets herself and it was so sad to see this beautiful dog that was so abused by the worst of humanity rescued by the best of humanity so we were looking after ruby and we were trying to get her fatter and on some weight and in the meantime she found her calling and told us that she was meant to be a tour guide and give pats and kindness to all the people that came to edgar's mission and she does that when we have a tour you go ruby there's a tour and she races down and she goes bounding up to the people and she works the crowd she literally works the crowd goes up and leans up against everyone for a pat we've had groups come here of women who've been abused and she's so beautiful with them or disengaged children and she works the crowd with them and you see these kids that have never smiled and they smile before when they've met ruby and her vet nurse title came about because she'd always be helping when I'd have the sick little lambs that would come in she'd like to lick their faces or she'd just like to curl up asleep next to them and we're making a video one night and I had the little lamb and I'm going in and Kyle's going to go oh come on vet nurse Ruby you better help and just that little tagline vet nurse Ruby so it's just stuck so she's our vet nurse and now people can find her at vet nurse Ruby our mum is obsessed with her our mum loves to send us like cute animals (laughs) on Instagram all the time and a lot of the time they're from Edgar's Mission or they're Ruby and when we said that we were coming here today, she was thinking about coming with us. And when she realized she couldn't, because she actually has to take her dog to the vet, she was like, oh my God, please give vet nurse Ruby cuddles from me. She's in love with her. It's really lovely how this dog who, you know, should have been shot has this worldwide following and she's just (laughs) spreading that kindness and love that she was given. Mm, So beautiful. And there are so many different kinds of animals here, even like that you've got Ruby, a dog, and then we saw a cat when we were walking to the bathrooms. I have a cat and Steph has a dog and they kind 
can't even be in the same room together. Does everyone get along or are there politics? Like how does it work? That's something that we often get asked, you know, how come our cats get along so well with the other cats and the birds? And Ruby goes into Chicken Village and again, that serendipitous thing. We never set out to make everyone get along. They just get along. I think it's the power of Edgar's mission and then there is the power. We have been impacted by bushfires twice now. At the other sanctuary, the Mickelon bushfires, we saw them start the day and we thought, oh, they're 40 kilometres away, they're never going to get to us. By that afternoon, we had the emergency services coming around and telling us we had to get out, you know, you're going to be impacted in an hour or so, get out. Three more people came around and said, you're going to be impacted, get out, we can't save you, there's fires across the state, we don't have enough equipment to protect you, you've got to get out. There's no one that I was going to abandon my animals. I've saved them once. I'm not going to abandon them when they needed me most. Three of us stayed behind to protect the animals at the sanctuary. And the fire came up literally to 500 metres the back of the property. And she forked around us and went to the east and went to the west. And we're in the middle of where the fire went. And, and we were safe. It was a pretty scary time because the smoke was really bad and everyone was cut off. We couldn't get food in or out. We couldn't get anything. No one could get into us. If we left the property, we we're never going to get back in. So we stayed there. And then when we moved here, not long after we moved here, we had a fire in the Cobor Forest and it was a controlled burn that got out of control. We're just looking out the office and we go, oh my gosh, that fire's coming our way. It was less than a kilometre. Shot up Bridie's Lane, came with about 100 metres of our front gate and go, oh my God, that's Edgar's mission and went to the north. And there would have been no way out for us. It was coming up there and it was really quite scary, that one. So I don't want to test our luck again, but someone was looking after us those times. I heard someone say the other day that Mother Nature rewards kindness, so obviously mother nature was looking after you then. We'll go with that one. Yeah. (laughs) So if what we've talked about today is really resonating with people, how can they get involved and help with Edgar's mission? Well, there are lots of ways, you know, you can get involved and people are always looking after money and money helps us do what we do. But there are so many other ways people can help us. Like liking and sharing our posts on social media is just a great way, keeping that love going. And it also buoys our spirits, you know, when, when people say nice comments about us, it makes us feel good. And just sharing those posts with family, friends and coworkers is is a great way to do it. Volunteering at the sanctuary is a great way to do it. We've got Be Kind to Animals Week coming up in October. That is something that we'd really love everyone around the country to get on board and help promote Be Kind to Animals Week. There's so many ways that we can help that you don't have to do with money. Money's good though. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take the money as well. I actually set a goal for myself this year that I wanted to volunteer in something to help animals. But I was like, oh, I don't really want to go to like pounds because my heart can't handle that. I feel like I'll be too sad. So I would like to volunteer at Edgar's Mission. Yeah, we have helping hand days, that day or Sunday. So if you just jump on our website, edgarsmission.org.au, go to the volunteer and yeah, sign up for a volunteer day. Amazing. I'll be here. And you also have the tiny houses, right? Yep. Tiny houses are awesome. That was just incredible luck. I was telling one of our donors about the tiny houses and my idea and she goes, wow, that's amazing. And I said, yeah, but you know, they're really expensive because no, they're yours. And they bought the tiny houses for us. Oh. And that's just amazing. They're so beautiful. And it's really lovely because we are so blessed to live in this beautiful part of the world. And to share that with members of the public is really awesome. Yeah, such a great like wedding present or birthday yeah. present. I've been looking at those for a while. <laughs> awesome. Well, we always end off our interviews with some quick fires. So we wanted to ask you, what is your favourite animal? Whoever I'm standing next to. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's so, such a good <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. So Ruby, that's you today. (laughs) What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Get out of bed. Is it to the sound of roosters? Like you don't have to set an alarm clock, right? Um, my body just wakes up. Do you have any good book recommendations? Oh, I love books. My favourite book used to be Jonathan Livingston's Seagull, which I still think is amazing. But I've just fallen in love with, and I'm going to forget his name, Charlie Macy's, the horse, the dog the mole and the fox or something or other. Oh my gosh, Charlie Macy, just look it up. It's fantastic. What's your favourite meal to eat at dinner time? Because you also have a cookbook, right? Which yeah. we were just looking at. <laughs> well, I've compiled the cookbook. I really must point that out. My mother, you mentioned you know, Pam's cookbook, she rolls around the floor in laughter <laughs> because baked beans on toast is probably my culinary um, specialty. But it's compiled by myself from amazing chefs around the country. Again, the goodness of the human heart. These people just gave us these recipes for free. They didn't ask for anything in return to just put them in the book and it's a wonderful book and if you want to cook any of the meals and invite me around to help you eat them I'll be there I love I love food and how many animals have come through Edgar's mission oh wow thousands we counted the other day it was like four thousand amazing well thank you so much for having us today Pam this is so wonderful yeah really special what you've built here thank you so much for having us here today and for doing all the good work oh well thank you for the good work that you're doing there's so many people out there doing great work to make the world a better place thanks 
That was the wonderful Pam Ahern. Hope you had a brilliant time listening to that episode. Just really loved getting to go to that animal sanctuary. We did have a little bit of a tour around afterwards and saw some of the incredible work they're doing and got to see some of the really cute animals. We got to pat some pigs. Oh, my mm, goodness. They were so cute. Pigs are way bigger than you think they are, guys. Oh, pigs are huge. Massive. And Pam was actually saying that sadly because pigs often get killed before they grow fully, they didn't know how big pigs could actually grow. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, there was a photo there of Edgar. Edgar, the pig, and towards the end of his life fully grown and he was ginormous kind of like a mini cow like a cow with short legs not even mini though it looked like it was out of a movie i know it didn't look real so i did love that quote that they have there if we could live happy and healthy lives without harming others why wouldn't we i feel like that's something to think about for everybody at the moment harming others in general and i think the world is coming together in such a like beautiful kind and positive way so hopefully we can continue that Yes. If you like this episode, please, we would absolutely love you to help us get the word out. You can do this in a few ways by rating us five stars, leaving a comment below, also sharing it with your friends. If you know someone that would love this conversation, please do share it with them and also share a photo on Instagram of you listening to the podcast with at how to live. We would just absolutely love to see it. Also jump on over to our Facebook group, which is how to live the podcast. I'm going to be sharing my story of how I rescued Panther, who is our beautiful golden retriever. And we always share lots of bonus content in there and we love to connect with our community. So next week on the podcast, we are doing a little bit of a reshuffle at the moment. We have some amazing conversations lined up for you, but we also know that you are mostly at home at the moment and we want to be bringing you content that is really relevant to that and kind of giving you purpose and meaning throughout this time. So we're going to leave this one as a little bit of a surprise. So stay tuned for an unbelievable episode next week. And we do hope that this week you have a beautiful week. Definitely think about the ways you can be giving back and helping others. And if you do want to nominate somebody, please jump on tubes.com and we would love to gift them a pair of shoes. We will see you next week. Until then, have a fabulous time. See you guys. Bye. Virtual hugs.